This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Amen. I'm Pastor Kevin, one of our pastors here at Christian Life Center. Um, We're going to go straight into the message today. I've been given the opportunity to share the word with you today. Um, If you are brand new here, our senior pastor, Pastor Tom, and his wife, Pastor Candy, are not here with us this morning, but they'll be back. But at this time, I do want to give honor to them to thank God for their leadership and their, um, their covering over us. So can we thank God for our pastors and leaders who look after us and care for us? Amen. We've been in a series entitled Searching. Someone say Searching searching. And this entire series was inspired by the thought that we know that many people around the world in this room watching online or who may rewatch this service are searching. There are questions that people are asking that we're seeking the answers to. Matter of fact, Google has even become the new God. We searched on Google for everything. I remember back in the days, there was a point where we didn't have Google and you had to actually flip, flip through the Bible and actually find the scripture. Now you just Google. I do it too. I was like, I just go on Google. Hey, what does what the Bible say? You know, thou shalt not. Get, oh, no, there it is. But the reason we put this series together is because we know that in the midst of everything that's happening, in the midst of all the questions that people are asking, in the midst of all that people are searching, everything we need is found in Christ. Everything we need is found in his word. Right? Can we just give God praise for that? But though that's simply communicated, sometimes it's often hard to grasp through life's challenges. Some of the questions we've been asking over the past few weeks was, is there absolute truth? Then we talked about, is there really a hell? People are asking often, if God is so good, then why would he create a hell? And then last week, Pastor Tom preached, uh, what uh, what do we stand for, right? As the church of Jesus Christ in a a post-pandemic or post-modern society, what do we stand for? In a time right now where right is wrong and wrong is right and people are making up their own truths, what do we actually stand for? If you didn't see that sermon, you can watch it this past week. He unpacked some tough topics talking about uh, the biblical institution of marriage, talking about the sanctity of life. These tough topics, Pastor Tom unpacked it uh, this past week. You can check it out if you haven't seen it online. You can go to our our website. You can see it there. But today we're asking another hard question. He always gives me the hard questions, you know. And I only make one request. I just say, as long as I don't preach after Pastor Nadine, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So I'll take the hard sermons as long as I'm not not after Pastor Nadine. Y'all know when Pastor Nadine preaches, it's it's over. You can't do anything after that. Right, so he honored, he's, he's honored my request to not have to worry about preaching after. I'm serious, I'm not playing, I'm, I'm so serious. I don't want to preach after her, I don't want to teach school of discipleship after her. Let me just put me like six weeks before her, you know what I'm saying? Or six weeks, seven weeks after, or a year if you can. <laughs> so today we're looking at a tough question. The question is, how do I get through suffering? How do I get through suffering. I have some um, stats here just to kind of help us understand that suffering is a real thing. Like people go through, we go through a lot of tough times, tough trials. Even when for Christians, we go through tough trials. We go through tribulation. We go through testing. We go through pressing. We go through seasons of being crushed. You might be sitting next to someone right now who has been through some tough times, or maybe going through some tough times right now. Being a Christian, it doesn't exempt us from going through trials. Anyone experience that to be true yet? Matter of fact, scripture says, think it not strange when you, felt, when you face trials of many sorts. Because through the trials, what happens, right? We're, we're developing endurance, We're developing perseverance. We're developing the ability to remain steadfast, immovable. But just to show you just some of the suffering around the world, there was some research that went out. As of May 17, 2022, 6,268,281 confirmed deaths took place due to COVID-19. Six million. 
And some resources have showed, some of the, one of the leading causes of death right now, I'm just going to paraphrase it, is a heart disease. Many males and females are constantly dying from heart disease. Matter of fact, to go even deeper, according to the National Institute of Mental Health Disorders, mental health disorders account for several of the top causes of disability in the established market economy, such as the U.S., and worldwide, which include major depression. Another, another resource says an estimated 26% of Americans ages 18 and older, about one in four adults, suffers from a diagnosable mental disorder. Men, not, not only, do we, not only are, is there physical suffering, there's mental health challenges in the world today. Some of you may have family members that deal with perhaps bipolar or some other form of anxiety. Some of you may have even experienced depression. I'm just saying life gets hard sometimes. And I know we live in a society where people love to say, how are you doing? Everyone says God is good all the time and all the time God is good, but that doesn't mean you're doing well, right? And it's okay to be able to communicate when you're going through a tough time. Matter of fact, the scripture says the Holy Spirit is a comforter. He's a wonderful counselor, and he comforts us in hard times. When asked the question, why do bad things happen to people? Here's some of the answers that people give um, online. I was look, we're looking up some resources here, some of the answers that people give as to why do bad things happen. Someone says, everyone suffers. You don't have to be religious to wonder why good people suffer, but bad people go through tough times as well. Another person says, good people suffer because life is unfair. There really is no other way around the fact. Good people suffer because pain is unbiased. There's another person, according to an Indian contributor, it says bad things happen to good people to balance out the good that happens to bad people. So evil things happen to good and bad people. This is some things people are saying. Another one here that someone says here, it says uh, bad things happen to good people, but God uses those bad things for an ultimate lasting good. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. So we're going to be looking at this question, how do I get through suffering? How do I endure through suffering? When suffering comes, because suffering comes. And it's not to uh, be gloomy today, but just to be, tra- be real, suffering comes. We don't always know the day or the hour, but suffering comes. And it's important for us to be able to know how we can endure when it is that suffering Comes. Now, before I answer the question, I want you to open your Bibles with me to Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. That's a pretty lengthy passage, but I do want to make sure that we just get this whole passage out because it's the basis of the scripture today. Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. And it reads this way. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions has increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will be sure and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went, went out from the presence of the Lord Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you while he was still speaking. Another also said, 
The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came across from the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Today's question is how do I get through suffering? Listen, man, suffering is real, y'all. People are, I mean, some of you have experienced this where it just seems like one thing after the next. Just one thing after the next seems to be taking place in your life where it's like you heard one thing and then it's another thing that takes place. Or while you're dealing with one thing, another thing takes place. But I believe that the Lord specifically assigned this message for you. He's assigned this message for you. Those of you may be watching online, you may be going through so much, and that could be why you've decided to stay home because trying to find strength to get out of your bed may feel too difficult to be able to do. I believe that this message is for you. God sees and he knows, and he is sovereign, and he is always in control. Even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't seem like it. Matter of fact, scripture says that he is our ever-present help in time of trouble. You know, the most powerful thing for me about that passage is not just that he helps us in time of trouble, but that he's ever-present. Did you catch that? We know he's a God that's able to take us out of trouble, but what about when we're in the trouble? What do we do in the midst of it? He's ever-present. And if God is present with you in the trouble, that means everything about him is present with you, meaning he gives you peace in the midst. Peace that passes understanding in the trouble. You know, the enemy doesn't know what to do with people who are in trouble trusting God. It's easy to talk about how God, he's going to give you double for your trouble. It's easy to talk about, he's going to bring me out of this. But what about when you're in it? (laughs) What about when you're in it? What about when you receive the cancer diagnosis and you're in it? What about when you went to Nights of Blaze and they laid hands on you and you still can't have children and you're in it? What about after a particular prophet prophesied something to you, but you're still in it? He's our ever-present help in time of trouble. That is the greatest news we can ever receive. Lord, never let your presence leave me. I can lose things. I can lose possessions. I can lose even blessings. But the greatest blessing I can ever have is your presence. That's why Moses said, this is not in our notes, that's why Moses said, if your presence doesn't go before, if your presence is not with me, I'm not going anywhere. You could lose your health, though we know God promises to give us divine health, we're going to talk about that. You could lose children, some people have lost children, you could lose spouses, but the presence of God gives you strength to endure gives you strength. Anyone ever been there where you don't know how you're getting through it? You don't know how you're enduring through it, but something about the presence of God gives you strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Lord, never take your presence away from me. That's my prayer. Lord, Matt, Lord, I might lose friends and followers, but may I never lose your presence. His presence gives us the advantage in every situation and circumstance of life because with his presence is joy. With his presence is peace. With his presence is grace, strength to endure. Amen? Can we just give him praise for that? So we're going to be unpacking this question, how do I get through suffering. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to unpack this. I pray, God, that you would speak clearly. You know why you assigned this message And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would just use me as a vessel, that I humble myself, keep my opinions out of this, keep my flesh out of this, Lord. And may you give us strength to understand the revelation of how to endure through suffering when it comes. In Jesus' name, everyone say, amen, amen. All right, we're looking at Job chapter 1. 
the book of Job is viewed as a lyrical poem. There's different types of poetry that exist. A lyrical poem is a poem that has to do with expression and emotion. When you read through the book of Job, you see Job in deep anguish, deep pain, deep frustration. So it's like a lyrical poem. It's a dialogue between God and Satan, Job and his friends, if you continue to read the, the story, and God and Job. And one of the common questions that people ask pertaining to suffering is why do we suffer? Two of the prevailing thoughts that have to do with suffering, one of the thoughts here is a thought that has to do with the word moralism. Pretty much what it is, the moralism perspective of suffering has to do with what did I do wrong? Aren't I a good person? Or maybe I lack, I lack faith. Because sometimes when things are happening that is out of our control, the moralistic viewpoint is maybe there's a sin I've committed that caused this. And the tension, the tension with the perspective of moralism is that it puts, it's rooted in perfectionism as though our actions have the ability to control or not control a suffering that may take place in our lives. Not to say that there are not self-inflicted sufferings that take place due to bad decisions, but I'm not referring to those ones. But what I'm saying is sometimes when you walk through tough times where something is happening to you or in your family's life, and you, if you're not careful, if you assume the responsibility for it, you can take on the weight of it. And God is not calling you to take on the weight of that. That alone might be a word for someone. Something that you may be walking through right now that you did not cause, it's not because you didn't pray hard enough. It's not because you didn't fast hard enough. And I know this sermon is going to mess some people's theology up, but I just want to unpack this. Some of the things happening in your life, it's not because of you. And sometimes we become so religious and so spiritual that we're looking at maybe I caused this on myself as to why my child is no longer serving the Lord. Or I caused this on myself as to why I particularly may have lost a spouse. Maybe that day, I, I, it's because I didn't do the 21-day prayer and fasting. The reason why I'm unpacking this is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is different and deeper than just a moralistic view. Because we live in a moral society where, where society is trying to determine what is right from wrong. But God is beyond what is right from wrong. He's good. Whenever we say God is good, it's one of the most absolute truths that we ever can communicate. Meaning God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. That's so powerful. Because that means this. Even when things are bad... God is good. Even when I don't feel it, God is good. Scripture says all things work together for the good of those who love God, who've been called according to his purpose. It's not in our notes either, but I love that scripture. It's, it's not saying that everything that happens in our lives is good. It's not saying everything in our lives that we may experience is good. It's saying that it works out for our good. Now, there's a condition for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you take that scripture a little deeper, this is what it's saying. To those who choose to love God in all things, it works out for your good. See, what happens is when we start facing trials and tribulations, we stop choosing to love God because we say, man, if he loved me, he wouldn't have caused this. Man, if, if God was the God that everybody's telling me about, then why is he allowing this to take place? But man, in the beginning of Job's story, when he first goes through thing after thing after thing, his response is, naked I was from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Of the Lord. I encourage you when it's not always easy, let that be your response. Even if you don't have words to say, Lord, blessed be your name in the midst of this. I don't know why this is happening, but I'm choosing to trust you in the midst. Amen. The second other, the other thought uh, in conjunction with moralism is cynicism. Some people believe that there is no God, so nothing has any purpose. This is like the extreme opposite of everything happens for a reason. Because I I don't believe everything happens for a reason. Some things just happen. However, which we'll unpack today, just because certain things may not necessarily happen for a reason doesn't mean that God can't use it to bring about something to bring glory to him. But when we're just constantly looking for a reason as to why everything is happening, we, then we kind of 
take on the other, that, that approach where we're just looking for something. I, mean, I grew up in a church, I grew up in a small church. Um, I think I tell you this all the time. And I, I grew up in a Haitian church. I'm Haitian. I'm proud to be Haitian. Haitian flag day was this past week. I didn't get to rock my flag, but I'm Haitian. I'm proud to be Haitian. And um, sometimes, I'm not trying to be offensive. It's just what my reality was growing up. We would have services, right? And somebody would get up and do a praise dance or something. They, they put their CD in the, 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 you know, the CD player and the CD starts scratching. I don't know if you remember that growing up. It's scratching and the girl's trying to break dance and she's because <laughs> of CD, you know, and then it's not working, scratching, right? Then it's like, all right, then you do the trick where you wipe it. Remember the CDs, you wipe the thing, right? Alcohol, you wipe the thing and still scratching. Then what starts happening? After, everyone starts clapping and start praying, remember? Y'all remember that growing up? <laughs> they start praying, in Jesus' name, the devil's trying to stop the CD from playing. <laughs> but the CD scratched. The devil is trying to stop her from ministering. She's going to minister in Jesus' name. Or maybe she needs to see that's not scratched. Is <laughs> the point I'm making. There are things that may happen sometimes that is not necessarily for a reason per se. Sometimes it's something that may be happening. Now, but the cynicism view is saying that there is no reason for anything that's happening. There is no God involved. Things in life just happen. These are just two, two views that kind of connect with that question as far as why do people suffer. Jordan Peterson says in his message, life is suffering, that what do you do about it? He says, you voluntarily accept it and strive to overcome the suffering that is a consequence of that, which is a very, very powerful thought. He says, what do you do about it when we face suffering? You voluntarily accept it and strive to overcome the suffering that is a consequence of that. But the first thing I do want to look at today as it pertains to suffering is this. In our suffering, God is in control. Someone say, God is in control. Touch your neighbor and say, God is in control. Amen? That's good news. <laughs> that is great news. God is in control. He always has a plan. God is in control of your family. God is in control of your children. God, could, God actually, parent, he can parent better than us. God is in control of your business. God is in control of this church. When, when, when we take ourselves out of the throne and put him on the throne, it's much more freeing because we know that he's in control and he's wise and every decision he makes is for our good. God is in control. Tell your neighbor one more time with conviction, say God is in control. Tell your other neighbor, say, God is in control. If you're watching online, type in the comments, God is in control. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return and snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word never returns void never returns void. Every promise that God communicates and grants to us, he's faithful to complete it. He's faithful to complete it. And everything that God has, may has promised you, he's faithful to complete it. But the point I'm trying to bring us to in this scripture is more connected to Philippians 1. It says that being confident in this, that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is more, the, the, the situations in life is more of an opportunity that God is working in us. He's working in us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what situations that he has to allow, not inflict, but allow to develop and perfect our faith. He knows best. God knows best. And that's our key point. We have to trust that God knows best. We have to trust that. When I look at the story of Job, I'm, I'm, 
I'm blown away because God says, have you considered my servant Job to Satan? Have you considered my servant Job? In Job chapter 1 verse 8, of Satan says, since you think he's so great, let bad things happen to him. Or in other words, let him go through some stuff. God then, as we read earlier, removes the hedge to allow for Satan to inflict some bad things in his life. But remember, God is always in control. Another example we see of this, which is actually where suffering was birthed, suffering was birthed in the garden of Eden. Suffering came as a result of the fact that God has allowed creation to have free will. And within us, there's different things waging inside of us that's choosing, that, that's fighting against us, fighting against the spirit man and the, the, the flesh and the spirit constantly raging war within us. Now, through that free will that God gave to Adam and Eve, they chose sin. We know the story. Then, uh, then they chose disobedience. Sin was birthed, which then God gave that curse where he said, man, from the sweat of your brow, you'd be working. He tells them that women would experience the pain of childbirth, that everything that comes with that. But after this takes place, after this verdict or this curse takes place, to show that God is still in control, he says in Genesis chapter 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Man, that's good. So even when they made this bad decision that caused them to that cost them their, their intimacy and closeness with God when he gave them a command to eat from any tree except this one, and then sin is birthed, even though that takes place, God still has a plan. And he's still in control. Because when he's speaking in reference to the seed of the woman, he's speaking into the future because God can see the future. And he tells the serpent that the serpent, the serpent's head would be crushed by the heel of the seed of the woman. We know the seed to be Jesus Christ. That generations upon generations upon generations later, God had a bigger and a greater plan. That though sin has entered into humanity, sin, is not, sin doesn't have the final say over us. And though sin cost us intimacy with God, he made another way by sending his son to die for us so that those who believe in Jesus Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life. Another scripture says it this way, that those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And it continues on to say that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling us to him through Jesus. Scripture says that Jesus, he became sin who knew no sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness is filthy rags, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us and redeems us, giving us access to the Father. Is anyone grateful for the blood of Jesus? Man, I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood never loses its power. His blood never loses its power. It doesn't matter what they're saying online or what kind of views out there, but the blood of Jesus still heals. The blood of Jesus still cleanses. The blood of Jesus still breaks yokes. The blood of Jesus still gives me access to the Father today. I can come to him in the morning. I can knock in the evening. I can come in the afternoon. I have access to the Father by the blood of Jesus. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. Being someone who's such a perfectionist that thinking that I can earn my way into salvation only to prove myself that I'm, my, my righteousness is filthy rags, I'm grateful for the blood of Jesus, showing me that it's by grace that I've been saved through faith, not by works, so Kevin Richelieu can't boast. So when I think of the grace of Jesus Christ, I just can't help but think of that song, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see the blood of Jesus. God foresaw what he was already going to do when Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. Just like God already foresees what he's going to do 
when you face trials of many sorts. He already knew it was coming. He already knew it was going to take place. And he always knows what's best. There's this old song that we used to sing in the church growing up. Um, I'll translate it. It says, um, uh, what does it mean when, we, when, when the road gets tough? When tough times come? God knows what he is doing. He ordained it this way. Then the song says, um, I'll sing in the sun. I'll sing in the rain. I'll sing in good and bad days. Whatever goes on, my heart will take, my, I will take heart. The song says, I have to sing, I have to worship because God ordained it this way is what the song says. It's, the song is referring to the sovereignty of God. We don't talk about the sovereignty, right? <laughs> we like talking about the favor, right? And the blessing, which is all real, but the sovereignty of God, those unanswered prayers or perhaps the answers that maybe we weren't anticipating, the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign and he is in control and everything that he does even if it may not may not feel good it's for our good timothy keller says this satan is only allowed by god to defeat himself god hates suffering but he permits it he allows it to the degree, to the degree the intention of to, that it, excuse me he allows it to the degree it defeats the intention of Satan for you. This is Timothy Keller. I want to read it one more time. Satan is only allowed by God to defeat himself. God hates suffering, but he permits it. But he allows it to the degree it defeats the intention of Satan for you. We see it in Job's life. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Do you know God is saying that about some of you in this room? Have you considered my servant Job? It's like God, man, this is hard to hear, but I'll speak it. God was able to trust Job with the trial. There are some pains in life, some trials in life, some challenges in life, where God is on the other side saying, have you considered my servant who's able to endure this and bring glory to me? I'm telling you, I might be one person this sermon is for. And I, I purposely try to use the countryman so I don't get all loud. It's like teach, not preach. It's hard sometimes. But when I was thinking about this sermon, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me that there's people perhaps in the room or watching online that life's been beating you up and trials has been beating you up. And you try to get back up and just something, just thing after one thing after the next, be the loss of a loved one or something like that. But man, I just want to encourage you. God is saying, have you considered my servant? Who would still trust me? Like Pastor Nadine says, even when they can't trace me. Have you considered my servant? Job. He's God-fearing. And he's loyal to me is what God is saying. Man, y'all, this is, this is something that, that, that I heard. It was a really, really great thought. When suffering comes, it teaches us this. We got to learn how to embrace living without an answer to the why question. You may not always know why God allows certain things. You might not ever know why that situation happened. Matter of fact, when I think about the Job story, what gets me so mad is that Job never knew about this conversation with Satan and, Satan and God. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think if Job knew about it, he might be a little more encouraged. Okay, God is talking about me, so I'm going to be a little encouraged to just try to fight this thing. But he don't even know about this conversation. Just like you may not know why. But God calls us as believers to embrace not knowing why. Man, <laughs> listen, man, I, I, I just want to encourage someone in this room, embrace not knowing why. Not knowing why. Not only is God in control in our suffering, number two, in our suffering, God loves us. God loves us. Here's a key question. Do you love God? Now, I was thinking about this question. And I'm going to explain this in a second here, and it kind of challenged me. I, do you love God? I felt like the Lord was asking me, wanted to ask us. And the next question was, uh, 
Why? This is key here for the passage of Job because in, in verse 8, God says that Job loves me. Job is my servant who fears me. The Old Testament actual translation or that Hebrew word of the fear in this particular passage is an inward awe and wonder. God is saying that Job is in awe of me. Satan then says, he only loves you because of what you are doing for him. Just like if we're not careful, we can only choose that we're, choose to love God based off of what he's doing for us. And Satan knows that. He knows that we are a networking society where we develop our relationships based off of what we can get out of the relationships. And sometimes if we're not careful, we start networking God. We start networking God. We're in our relationship with him. We're drawing close to him because of what we can get from him. It's not to say that God doesn't grant blessings to his children. But sometimes we begin to serve him because of the blessings. We begin to serve him because of the promises. We begin to serve him, if we're not careful, because of the benefits. This is why whenever you hear it, we say we, say we worship God for who he is. For who he is. Suffering actually breaks us down to a place of trusting and serving God for who he is. Suffering brings us to a point where it's saying, God, beyond what you can do for me, I trust you for you. And not only does suffering perfect us in our relationship towards God, it perfects us in our relationship towards others. Because the more that we, the better we're able to love God, the better we're able to love one another. So then we stop networking in our relationships. So now I'm actually being able, being able to connect with you for you. But how many people know that it's through the suffering that we learn to do that? When, you hum, when God humbles you, and God presses you down through suffering, you get to a place where you're willing to actually get to know people for who they are. My wife and I have this joke. Every time one of us gets sick, we always say, oh, I'm humbled. <laughs> Whatever you need me to do. You want me to do the dishes? I, I got, I'm humbled right now, right? And my, we always say this joke, but the truth is, it's like, it's what happens. When you're sick or when you're going through trials, it's interesting how the very, very, what, what becomes the most important things to you. The scripture says it's actually better to attend a funeral than a wedding. The scripture says, you know, at a, what it's referring to when it's saying that is that when you, the difference between a wedding and a funeral, you go to a wedding, you're talking about what the, the bride's dress and the groomsmen. I knew he was going to wear a white suit. You know, he's a pretty boy, right? Then you start critiquing the music. Then you, that's what you do at weddings, right? Or if you're not married, like, man, when am I going to get married? Man, I could do better than that. It's just, you just critique everything, right? When is my time going to come? That's what weddings do. But funerals is different. Funerals is completely it's a whole nother mood. You start looking at your life and saying, man, I wonder if I'm making a difference. Man, I wonder what's going on in my life that I need to actually get right with God. Or you, you, or you even go back, man, maybe, that forgi- maybe I need something to forgive that person. You know what I'm talking about at funerals? It's completely different. That's why it's good for us to be in those settings because we recognize the fact that we are mortal and we will face death at some point. And how are we living? It's that question that we're asking ourselves. So Job in this particular point, in the beginning, he's doing well, as I mentioned a moment ago, but then it gets to a place in Job chapter 7 where Job is not doing so well. And he says in verse 12, Job chapter 7 verse 12 is not in your notes. He says, am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? When I say, when I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. When you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body, I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone for my days are but a breath. This is Job going to end, y'all. What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment and every moment? Then he says in verse 21, why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I lie down in the dust and you will seek, my, seek me diligently but I will no longer be. When you read the, through this scripture, what you see is that God in the midst of this, tef, this test is perfecting Job. We've never arrived. We have not, I know I haven't arrived. As you look at the story of Job, you see God perfecting him. Suffering perfects us to become more like Jesus. 
Suffering presses us. There are certain things that God is developing in and through you that through the suffering it gets pressed through you for his glory. God is perfecting us. To make Job a man of greatness, he had to allow Job to suffer and not know why. He had to allow Job to suffer and not know why. Suffering is for the maturation of believers. And I'm telling you, y'all, this is, for me, whenever I'm asked to teach and preach, I dread it because I feel at times, one, I, I think this is such a heavy calling that Pastor Tom has to preach every single week. I don't know how he does this. By the time I got here, my stomach was doing the thing, you know what I'm saying? But one of the reasons why I just dread preaching and teaching is because these, the, the, sometimes when I'm reading scripture and hearing and, 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 and communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ, I, I feel extremely countercultural. Meaning, we live in a society where you don't hear stuff like this. <laughs> this actually probably, some people probably watching, tuned off. It's like, man, this sounds sad. Like, that's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear some double for your trouble. You know what I'm saying? 09 is mine. Like, it was 2022. What's God going to do? I don't know what they're saying right now. <laughs> right? We live in a, we live in a <laughs> shallow depiction of the gospel of Jesus. We do. We don't want to hear this. Trust me. The baby's even saying amen. Amen. <laughs> we don't want to hear this. We don't, we don't want to hear this. I'm telling y'all, man, there's people who walked away from God because they didn't hear this. You may have gotten to the actual precipice of your breakthrough where the actual test came and you walked away from God. But trials and tribulations and sufferings are key for our discipleship to become like Jesus. We have to know how to trust him when we don't know why. We have to know how to serve him when we're getting nothing in return. Matter of fact, when we have him, it's more than anything that we could receive in this life. We have to get to a place that, yes, your child may have walked away from God, but God is with you and he's in control. We got to get to a place. We have to get to a place when you get those lab results that you don't want to see and you still trust God. I said this to someone the other day. Your faith is not contingent upon your lab results. Nobody's going to say amen to this. I'm tell- that's why I hate preaching. Y'all, he'll give me the hard stuff to preach. Because <laughs> it could sound like I'm saying God doesn't heal us. I believe God heals. I believe he delivers. But I believe that more than any physical thing, God is making us whole. And he's making us more like him. And becoming more like Jesus requires pressing. <sighs> I don't want to preach this. It requires pressing. Matter of fact... When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we heard at Easter this past few weeks ago, Gethsemane means the place of the olive pressing, the place of the olive crushing. So the picture that the scripture is showing us is that Jesus is in the garden being pressed and crushed. And that's how they make oil. They press and crush it. This is my year of breakthrough. Do you know that the year of breakthrough means breaking you? I'm just saying, when we decide to follow Jesus and we say, no turning back, no turning back, the world behind me, the the cross before me, do we know what the cross symbolizes? (laughs) This is why I don't like preaching. They they need to take me off the road. Do we know what the cross, the cross is not social media videos. The cross is a picture of pain and suffering. And he's, this is what Jesus said. For the joy set before me, for the joy set before him, it says, he endured the cross. Man, what are you willing to endure for the sake of him? (laughs) What are you willing to endure for the sake of him? Man, I I think about this topic and it just, it, it, it's just such a heavy message. A key point you have here is knowing who. It's more essential than knowing why. You may not have the answers. You may not know the reasons. But as I mentioned in the beginning, God is with you. And he will never leave you. And he would never forsake you. He will never leave you. And he would never forsake you. 
it might feel like he's left you, but he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. When you start feeling those experiences, those challenges, those tough times, or maybe symptoms or different things that may test you and feel like, man, I thought God was with me. Guess what? He's with you and he will never leave you. When those trials come, there's an opportunity for you to draw closer to him, to lean into his presence, to experience him in a new way. Number three, in our suffering, you are not alone. I'm going to get through these points quickly because I do want to make sure that we end in a decent enough time because I want to pray at the end. I want to pray for some people at the end um, that I feel like the Lord has uh, placed on our hearts to lift up as well. But point number three, in our suffering, you are not alone. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, these things I have spoken to you, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, that in me, you may have peace in the world. You have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And Luke, Luke says it a different way in 22, uh, 31 to 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked, actually, this is a different scripture. He asked, he's asked to sift you like wheat. And then Jesus tells him, but I pray that your faith won't fail you. When you experience suffering, it's Satan trying to sift you like wheat. He's trying to sift you of your faith and your loyalty to God. Sift you of your trust in the almighty God. But Jesus' prayer is this, though Satan comes to sift you, I pray that your faith won't fail you. When Job was going through, it was, he was, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, until he started experiencing physical health issues. Scripture says when Job was attacking his health, you start to see a whole different type of experience. Because when you're going through in your physical health, it's a whole, it's a whole different type of challenge to try to endure through. But when those tough times come, please hear me, that Satan tries to sift you. He wants to sift you of your faith in God. But hear the promise of God that he's spoken to the disciples years ago that still is true today. I pray that your faith won't fail you. I pray that same thing for you, that your faith won't fail you. That you may feel like your faith is gone. You may feel like all hope is gone, but may your faith not fail you because greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. The power of God in you is greater than that circumstance around you. Truth, that is the truth. God is with you in the pain. He's with you in the trials. He's with you in the suffering. And he can give you strength. And he gives you strength and grace to keep pressing on one day after the next. So when suffering comes, how do we get through this? Just some application points here. Uh, firstly, grieving is okay. Um, if you look at scriptures, the Bible never tells us it's not, not to grieve. He just, he, Paul just tells us to grieve differently. He says that we don't grieve like the world grieves, as though there's no hope in eternity, just paraphrasing it. But that doesn't mean that grieving is bad. It, grieving is okay. It's okay to have times where you're just not feeling it. It's okay to have times where you are mourning the loss of a loved one or mourning a trial. It's okay to grieve. As a matter of fact, we can experience God then as well. Jesus himself wept. Grieving is okay. Amen. And it's okay, to, it's okay to not be okay is what I'm getting at, right? And I know it's tough sometimes because, you know, how you doing? Blessed and highly favored. You could be blessed and highly favored and still be grieving. Amen? Amen? Grieving is okay. Here's another point here. Sit before you speak. In the Jewish culture, there's this thing called the sitting shiva. And this is what would take place is when people were grieving in mourning, instead of them coming and bringing all kinds of um, things to them, they would just sit with them. You see this take place with Job's friends. At first, when Job's friends are seeing him endure through pain and seeing him in anguish, before they try to do the crazy stuff they did where they start quoting all these reasons why it happens, and they didn't start off that way. They started off pretty well. But in the beginning, they actually are sitting with him. When you're going through a tough time or you know someone going through a tough time, it's okay to just sit with them. When people are going through, it's, it's not always helpful for them that you're bringing a sermon. Because <laughs> as a matter of fact, some people who are suffering, they know, it already, they know the truth. It's just that it hurts still to walk through. Sitting with them. I remember one time there was a, there was, there was a man in our church, I won't say his name, and he was going through a tough time in his family. I remember going to go visit him, and I, he was just in pain. He was on the floor, and I, 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 I showed up in his house, and I just sat down on the floor, and we both were just weeping. I, I, matter of fact, we were weeping so much, he started comforting me. <laughs> I'm like, I came for you, bro. Right? And I don't know if it was going to help him if I quoted scripture. Not to say scripture is bad or that faith in that moment is not real when you quote scriptures. Because you are to quote scriptures. It's needed. But the point is I'm saying is that in suffering times or if someone else is suffering, 
It's okay to just sit with them. That's why they would do that. Let me just sit with you in this moment and support you as a brother and sister in Christ. Here we go. Another one is meditate on God's word so that it grows your faith beyond your feelings. Our faith needs to go deeper or beyond our emotion. There's going to be days you don't feel it. There's going to be days you don't feel like going to church. There's going to be days you don't feel like connecting in a life group. There's going to be days you don't feel like doing anything for God. But our faith goes beyond our feelings. We walk by faith and not by sight. Matter of fact, we walk by faith and not by feeling. We move in faith. Our faith is a substance of the things we hope for and the evidence of things that we do not see. It has nothing to do with our emotion. So studying God's word and meditating on it so that we can walk in faith and obedience to it, even if we don't feel it. Last and certainly but not least, this is probably one of my hardest ones. You're going to judge me for it, but I'll still be transparent with you. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in forgiveness. Job 42.10 says, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So here's the thing. What happens here, after Job's friends start saying why he's going through this and tell him maybe he sinned and it gets really out of hand at this particular point. And if you look at the last book in Job, God is addressing his friends because they were trying to be there for him, but they were just really missing it. Then before God restores to Job double portion, God asked Job to pray for his friends. Now, I have... I can't necessarily prove this, particularly in this scripture, but it's something that could potentially be implied. It was important that Job prayed for his friends before he received God's blessing. Forgiveness is key to receiving from God. It's hard to receive when your heart is bitter and you're holding on to that area of unforgiveness. Sometimes your healing is in your forgiveness. And forgiveness doesn't mean that what was done was right. Forgiveness, it just says that you're releasing it to God so that God can address it how he knows best. But while you're going through pain and suffering, walk in forgiveness. Because forgiveness can become a weight on you that you do not need in this particular season of your life. God calls us to walk in forgiveness. Now, as uh, uh, Pastor Charles is going to come out here um, as we get ready to wrap this up. But some ministries that the church has to offer to help, if you're walking through a tough time, there's some ministries that we have here. We have Christ-centered care. Christ-centered care is a biblical um, uh, counseling ministry we have at the church. It's not official professional counseling. It's more biblical counseling because obviously the people on that team are not trained professionally. They're more trained as to unpacking God's word for life's challenges. We also have grief share um, at the church as well. Um, If you have lost a loved one or experienced any kind of loss, because any kind of loss is tough, right? Um, we've had grief share at the church if you want to be able to walk through that. Um, we also have celebrate recovery. Um, if you're recovering through some area of, 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 of a tough area or maybe it's an addiction or a trial or some area where you're needing freedom, we have these ministries available to you to be able to provide something practical for you, not just only um, these other uh, spiritual things. We also want to provide something for you to help you make going, who may be going through a tough time or a tough challenge. So how do I get through suffering is what we talked about. We got to remember that in our suffering, that God is in control. In our suffering, God loves us. That that can never be taken away from you. That's why scripture says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No height or depth can separate us from the love of God. That powerful, Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. God may seem far, but his love is real, even in the midst of a trial. And in our suffering, you are not alone. God is with you. Touch your neighbor and say, God is with you. One of the things I love about this story is that it points us to a bigger picture. Touched on it a little earlier, but I want to share it now. If you can uh, unmute the guitar loop. The, The picture is showing us the way that we know that we're not alone. Because sometimes what makes it a little easier to be able to get through a suffering is knowing uh, someone that maybe has gone through something that you've been through. And I want to tell you today, the person who understands suffering the most is Jesus. 
Nobody understands suffering better than Jesus. And I just got to let you know that because sometimes you don't realize it, but the Jesus that rose from the grave, he knows what it's like to get through pain. Let me show you. This is what God said. God said this. I, to, in order to restore humanity to me, I'm going to send my son. A perfect person walked in perfection, walked in holiness. And the way for me to show my plan, I'm going to put him through pain just for you. And he did it for us. Now, what's crazy about this passage, and this is why some scholars have tried to call one of Job's friends a picture of Jesus, but I don't believe that. I believe the picture of Jesus is Job. Job, God, Jesus Christ, he's the absolutely, he's the absolute innocent sufferer. Job, Jesus is the true Job who goes through pain for you and for me. Matter of fact, he knows what it's like also to ask a question and God not respond. He says, Father, why have you forsaken me? And the scripture shows no response. And Jesus is quoting Psalm 22 at that particular point. Jesus is saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? You might feel like that right now. You might, God, why have you forsaken me? I've been serving you, I've been trusting you, I've been tithing, I've been worshiping you, but why have you forsaken me? And no response. The reason why he's not responding is because he's saying, I haven't, I'm there. Scripture says, even if I make my bed in the depths, Psalm 139, you are there. God is with you in your pain. He's with you in your trial. He's with you in your suffering. He's with you as you wait for promises to come to pass. He's with you with or without the promise because he is the God of the promises, right? We got to worship the God of the promises more than we worship the promises of God. We have to worship the God of the promises more than we worship the promises of God. Some of us are worshiping God because of what he does for us. But then we want him to, we, we want to build relationships saying, I want somebody who could be with me for me. But you're not like that with God. You worship God because of his blessings. You worship God because you want the anointing. You worship God because you want to serve in ministry and do great things for him. But what if God was enough? More than what he can do for you. I'm getting loud. I'm sorry. Let me calm down. We live, I'm telling y'all, man, this, this, we have to pray for this generation. We have to pray for this hour, this era, because we are becoming a people that are walking in a form of godliness and denying its power. I said this before and I'll say it again. Even to be a preacher is becoming a profession, which has nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But you can preach and, and be far from God today. You can. You could. You could, you could rep Jesus and have nothing to do with him. And this is what I'm saying. The way, uh, people who are called of God are not developed here. They develop back there. When nobody, what happens when no one sees you? But suffering becomes those moments where no one sees you, but God is telling you, I see you. Stripped. Jesus is stripped on the cross. He's not healing anybody. He's not performing any miracles. Maybe you're in a season where you feel like I'm not doing anything anymore. And Jesus is stripped on the cross before the people that he supposedly came to save with a God who has forsaken him. And his arms is out this way. Remember, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I mean, even trying to utter those words, because the, the crucifixion is terrible because when he inhales, the nails in his feet, right? But then when he exhales, the nails in his hands. Trying to breathe for us while he's going through pain and suffering. But he did it for us. As you're going through pain and suffering, remember Jesus on the cross. He's with you in your suffering. If you may be watching online, enduring through a mental illness, God is with you in the midst. He can bring you out. He can heal you. He can deliver you. He can. But also, more than anything, he's enough. He's enough. And I'm telling you, i got to speak to specific people. You've prayed. You've fasted. You've been laid hands on. You've had anointing oil on you. And you walked out feeling more discouraged because you feel like God has left you. And I'm telling you today, he's with you. He's with you. God is maturing us. He's perfecting us in our faith when we go through suffering and pain to be able to trust him when we may not feel like we can trace him. 
to be able to keep our eyes on him when we're feeling like all hope is being lost. Jesus is with you, and he knows what pain is like, and he knows what it's like to endure through trials and tribulations because he is God. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.